Song of Songs, this continues the back and forth between the he and the she, starting at verse 15. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she responds, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily in the valleys. He continues, As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. And she continues, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or waken love until it pleases. Uh, that was love poetry. Love poetry. Now, some of you, maybe some of you younger people, wish we were talking about something else like swords and battles and swashbuckling heroes and stuff. That's why in youth group we're reading the book of Judges right now. Uh, but today, we're reading love poetry. Ooey gooey, mushy gushy, smoochy, looking into each other's eyes, sort of love poetry. And look, this world needs love poetry right now more than ever. We, as a church, we need love poetry right now more than ever because we're looking for love in all the wrong places. It's very common today to uh, think that maybe casual hookups or affairs uh, can, can be a place where we can find love because that they have desire in them, but desire is only one part of love. They don't have love. Pornography can be so tempting to us because it offers a form of intimacy, yet it's without cost, without love. Love matters today, and we need to know how to do love well. So look, this song is for you. It's for you if you are five years old. It's for you if this morning you have a wedding band on your finger. This song is for you. It's, it's for all of you who are single, restlessly single, and wish that you had somebody. And it's also for those of you who, who put flowers on your spouse's grave. See, love is bigger than us. Love is something that explains our relationship to the divine who made us. God actually wants you to have love. So, let's know love. Let's know what love is. Three things that we need to know about love. Three things from the text. One, Love is singularly devoted. Love is intensely intimate. And thirdly, love is guarded by a sacred oath. So love is singularly devoted. It's intensely intimate and guarded by a sacred oath. So point one, love is singularly devoted. We'll be looking at verses 15 of chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. Love is singularly devoted. So the love that we find here in this text is between a couple who addresses one another uh, with, with words of adoration. They build their lives around one another, and they are incredibly exclusive. 
So let's look at their mutual adoration first. It just pops off the page whenever we read it. That's what makes it love poetry. Look at verse 15. The man says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. And then look at verse 16. She says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. It is, it's a mutual delight over one another's beauty. Now, we aren't used to men being called beautiful in our context. That's a little maybe strange to some of our ears. But this girl is enamored with this man. He is beautiful in her eyes. So then they start to describe each other using some of the poetry. And sometimes the poetry in Song of Songs makes you want to giggle. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, Look at verse 15. He says that her eyes are doves. And maybe they're just beautiful or or soft in some nice way. They're pleasant to be around. Uh, Some of the poetry can be lost on us. But then, I don't know, we're used to things like flowers for a woman. He describes her as a lily in the next verses. And then chapter 2, verse 3, she talks of him as as if he's an apple tree. Like like he's strong and fruitful and, and trustworthy and faithful. Pleasant. So this, what's going on there, this is the ooey-gooey side of love. It's these loving words of of praise that that may make you sound ridiculous to the world around you. Like if you called your your loved one schmoopy or something. That's what this is like. This is ooey-gooey love poetry, adoration. And it's actually appropriate that humans do this. Uh, Adam's first words in the Garden of Eden whenever he saw his wife, he, he, he burst out in poetry, didn't he? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The first words recorded in Scripture of a human. Love poetry. Some of us need to rekindle this in our marriages. Husbands, call your wives beautiful. Wives, call your husbands beautiful. Love comes with adoration. Uh, So this kind of devotion, it's not just adoration, though. It's also the kind of devotion that leads you to want to plan your life around somebody else. We see this with the woman's words uh, in verses 16 and 17. Please look at, read what she says, 16. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters are pine. Now, Some people have interpreted these words as meaning that, like she's really saying that she just wants to go off in the woods where there's trees around them like that and and make love in the woods. But but whenever you start to interpret the book of songs that literally, it it just, it doesn't really make sense. Because we are going to say that the woman's teeth are really like sheep, you know? Like this is imagery that points to something deeper. So what's going on with the couch that is green? It's not just a green couch. What's going on with these beams and these rafters? She's describing a house. Those are words of a house. She's talking about delighting and having a home with this man. Now, she wants to have his babies. It's a lush couch. It's fruitful. But she's also interested in raising his babies, too. She wants a life together with this man. A stable life with strong uh, walls of, of pine and rafters, cedar, all this stuff built strong together. She wants pictures on the wall. She wants a pantry full of food. This isn't a one-night stand. This is planning your life together with somebody. Love. It comes with, with joint bank accounts. It comes with picking up the kids from hockey practice. 
Love comes with a mortgage. But perhaps the most beautiful part of all of this devotion language we find is how exclusive it is. So where do we see this exclusivity? Well, we'll look at the text. The the woman compares herself to a a rose of Sharon. Now, they didn't really have roses in in the Middle East at this time. It's some sort of lily or lotus or something. Uh, But but that's not the point. Uh, Sharon, in this passage, it wasn't just a woman's name like it is to us. Sharon was actually this this fertile uh, valley near the ocean. And in that valley, lots of lilies would spring up. So the woman is like, you know, yeah, sure, I'm a a beautiful lily, just like the rest of the lilies. But then notice what the man says. He says, no, you're not just a lily from the fertile place full of tons of lilies. says, no, you're the lily for me. All other women to me, they are brambles. They are thorns. There's nothing there for me. See, his eyes... They're on her alone. And she thinks the same way about him. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. He is the only tree for her. All the other ones, they're just wild trees in the forest with no fruit. In her eyes, no other man has anything to offer her. Her eyes are on him alone. So love, the singular devotion that we read about here. It is mutual adoration. It's planning your life together. It's exclusive. So love comes with singular devotion. I want you to imagine for a second if your marriage was like this. Or imagine if you're single, a marriage like this. Imagine a relationship that was white hot romantic all the time. A relationship, a marriage, where couples, they're planning their life together with every single moment, with every single dollar, they're on one page building something. A marriage free of temptations to other lilies and other trees. See, that's the sort of singular devotion that all of us need. But it's a dream. None of our marriages could ever meet this standard all of the time. In our best moments, in our most worthy moments, uh, they will be whenever we find ourselves devoting ourselves to our spouse like this, with such selfless love. So that was point one. Know that true love, real love, it is singularly devoted. But maybe you're thinking, uh, Frankie, that sounds a little bit too old-fashioned. You know, that sounds like the sort of love that grandma and grandpa might have recommended to us, but that's just not interesting anymore. Well, we'll hold on for a second. Because the Bible uh, talks about love deeper than that. It talks about romantic love. The sort of love that makes your heart beat faster. So point two, love has intense Intimacy. Love has intense intimacy. Now, in the next verses, we see that love involves savoring, embracing. And and it actually, it's so powerful in the text that it it, it comes to have a life of its own, and the woman can't control it. So let's look first at how they savor and embrace one another. Look at verse 3. She says, With great delight, I sat in the shadow. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. Verse 4. 
He brought me to the banqueting house. Now, I don't like the translation banqueting house. The Hebrew says really clearly, he brought me into his house of wine. Now, doesn't that just sound great? The house of wine. And, and she savors him like a nice glass of wine. And his, his presence is sweet to her like a nice fresh apple. It's intimate. It's delightful. Now, I want you to remember that this imagery is poetic. Some have tried to find hidden, hidden meanings into what an apple might be or something, but... Uh, but, but the author of this, this poem, all of Song of Songs, it's, it's not explicit in some erotic way that we should shield ourselves from, uh, but it, the, the poet actually clothes these people behind, behind this, this poetic imagery. But it's not allegorical. There is real intense intimacy going on here because some of it's pretty explicit in this. That, 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 that Look at him. Uh, he is, uh, look at verse six. She says, his left hand is under my head. And his right hand embraces me. They are laying together close. Close enough to feel each other's warmth. Close enough to feel each other's breath. This is a posture of physical intimacy. And they, they, they love it. They adore this moment. See, all of this savoring and embracing, it, it then goes on to take on a life of its own. It becomes something they can't control it's actually quite strange if you pay attention to it. Uh, look how strange it is in verse 4 and 5 how love appears. Love appears as an unconquerable force in their life. A force of war and sickness. Look at the end of verse 4. She says, His banner over me was love. That word banner, uh, th th that's a war banner. His love for her and her love for him coming together, they have manifested in something that is able to conquer an army. It's a war banner. And then she goes on to describe it as a sickness. Verse 5, she's, she's there, she's begging for refreshments. She's exhausted from love, worn out from it. And she's wanting raisin cakes. You know, I don't know what you want when, she, when you're sick, but, but she wants these, these things to revive her because she feels like she has an illness. She's been conquered by love. The intense intimacy that is stirred up between them, it has become beyond their control. And it's quite terrifying in its own right. Now, this language appears elsewhere in the book. You may recall in chapter 8 the very famous lines, Love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. We need to take that to heart this morning. Because you and me, we can toy with love. We can treat it as if love and intimacy is something to be used and controlled. Like Fontaine says, no, no song unsung, no wine untasted. We just try and go out and enjoy little bits of love. We try to drink our fill and move on. But we need to be reminded that love itself is strong and powerful. It can conquer. It can make a fool out of us. It can overpower us and intoxicate us. So the Apostle 
Paul uh, centuries later. He was writing to some single Christians who were struggling with their singleness in the city of Corinth. And, and Paul knew how intense love could be in this marital, marital intimacy. And, and he knew that there were some Christians in Corinth, in that church. They were well-meaning, but they were, they were, uh, they were engaging in premarital moments of, of intimacy. And listen to them. Listen to this. He didn't tell them that they should run away from marriage and stuff because intimacy is inherently wrong. He actually says, no, no, no. You need to embrace what love truly is. Go and get married. It's not a sin to get married. It's better to marry than to be burning with passion in sin and giving in and going against God's commands. It's no sin to marry another Christian. Now, in other places, Paul says, you've got to flee sexual sin. And what he's getting at is this. Intimacy, it it takes this love, it takes on this power. We can't control it. It's either fight or flight or do it the right way. See, sex is a great thing given by God, but it has to be enjoyed in its proper place. It should actually be celebrated in its proper place. That's why we need love poetry. Because we need to celebrate what love truly is. And sexuality is only one part of love we've seen in the text. See, intense intimacy, it has to be coupled with singular devotion or it will destroy us. We'll try to drink from this cup of wine, but it's not going to be there. Because actually the, the singular devotion talked about in this text, it's the cup that holds the wine of intimacy. If we want to drink intimacy to its full, it has to be held fastly in the bonds of marriage. So let the married among us embrace both. Let those who are struggling with premarital things embrace love in its right way or flee from it. See, a lot of people think that the Bible is all stodgy and and boring about sexuality, but nothing could be further from the truth, could it? The Bible is actually encouraging people to embrace love and intimacies and all of its beauty and all of its goodness. So let's do that. So, but what for all of those who are unmarried? What does this text give you to think about this morning? So maybe all this talk about love and devotion and stuff, it feels like we're just rubbing salt in a wound. It hurts. So why listen to all of this? Well, uh, verse 7 The last verse we'll be looking at today, let's see, it it expressly addresses the unmarried. It tells us about this, or this about love. See, it says, love is guarded by a sacred oath. That's going to be our third point today. Love is guarded by a sacred oath. Look at verse 7. I adjure you, she says, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So what's going on here? Verse 7 is what theologians call an oath formula. Now that's a fancy word. It just means that you're making a formal promise in the presence of a lot of witnesses. And here the woman of this song is making this oath. She's calling on the daughters of Jerusalem to make this oath, to make a promise that they will not awaken love until it pleases. As in, they won't rush love. That they won't do love in a, in a half of love. But they'll wait 
for the right moment with the right person. So what she do? She calls on gazelles and deer to be witnesses to this oath. Now, we can't bring in moose or beavers in Canada to, as a witness and a testimony. But what she is essentially doing is she is calling on all nature around to be a witness to this promise, to be a witness against them if they mess up. Because not all the things that we do and we think that, are, that there are no witnesses to those moments, that's not true. God himself witnesses every moment in our life. There is no hidden thing from the Lord. In Joshua chapter 24, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you have, you know, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you have that uh, pasted up in your bathroom wall or something. Well, in Joshua chapter 24, there's more than that verse. Joshua actually reminds the people uh, that they, they've made a promise to God, a covenant promise. And then Joshua takes this nearby stone and he sets it up as a stone of remembrance. And he says, this stone is a witness that you have made a covenant with the Lord. If, if every physical human here who witnessed that promise dies off, this stone will still be here. This stone is a witness. The universe will remember your oath. And so in like fashion, these daughters of Jerusalem, they're told not to rush love. God's creation is a witness to this oath. No, they should wait till they have the fullness. So, what do we do? Don't just chase after intimacy. Wait until there's someone that you can be singularly devoted to as well. Now, for some of you, that may mean that you break up your relationship or break off with a non-Christian that you have. Because you, it, the, the Scriptures command Christians to marry in the Lord. So if you are a Christian and, and you are chasing after a non-Christian, that relationship is not going to work. You cannot be fully and singularly devoted to each other if at the heart of your relationship, your relationship with God, if it's not the same. And this singular devotion that we're not supposed to rush, we have to wait until we, we find somebody that we can actually love and not just receive love from. Because often in our moments where we desire intimacy, it's because we desire something for ourselves. But if you're searching for a spouse this morning, don't awaken it until you can find somebody that you want to marry, that you want to lay down your life for, to give love, to belong to somebody, to have a selfless, a selfless love. Because that's how love works. Those are the parts of love. Love is bound by a sacred oath. And look, if you're single, you know just how hard this can be. It's hard to wait for this sort of love. And you might be tempted to give up. But waiting until you can find somebody that you can share in this oath with, that's the only way that you're going to find the love that you really want and that you really need. Uh, I, I wanted to say something about this text, though, that some of you here today may have had verse 7 used against you in the past. Maybe you were told that if you rushed love, if you, you fooled around outside of marriage or something, then, then you just ruined love for the rest of your life. That somehow sex would be cursed for you. Somehow you are now less worthy of love. Maybe you've heard this sort of thing. To you, I want you to know that there is grace. There is grace in Scripture. And actually, that would be a very shallow reading of this verse. 
Because to see this verse as just a simple charge to remain pure before marriage, that misses out on the bigger story of the Bible. Because here's the deal. Married or not, single or not, virgin or not, we are all oath breakers. Every one of us in this room are oath breakers. And I'm not talking about strictly in sexual terms. See, sexuality, according to the Bible, is much bigger than sex. It has to do with our most important relationship, as I said earlier. It's our connection to the divine creator. That's what sex has to deal with. And in the Garden of Eden, humanity, God's bride, what happened? She tasted the fruit of another lover. In that moment, humanity broke that oath, quit loving God. And the great plot twist is what? God still loved the world. The old prophet Hosea, he wrote about this phenomenon. And and I want you to pay attention to this because this this blew my mind and whenever I was studying it. But he wrote about God as if God were a husband in the church in the Old Testament Israel and the church now, as if we were an unfaithful bride. And he actually uses the words of Song of Solomon. In Hosea 14, the prophet says, God would take back this unworthy bride and he would love her freely. He would forgive all her sins and what would happen? She would blossom like a lily. She, the church, would sit in his shade like the apple tree and that they would enjoy themselves with wine. That is the love that God wants to have with you. Even after everything that's happened, that's what God wants with you. And Hosea, he wasn't just talking in flowery terms here. He was a prophet. He was predicting things to come, things that would happen. And these things actually happened because, as the hymn writer says, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. Jesus, who was God himself, became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh and was born as a man. And for every moment that you and me broke an oath, breached the covenant, for every single wandering eye, every lack of devotion in our marriages, every moment of intimacy out of place, for all of our adultery, Jesus went to the cross where he was strung up and humiliated. You know, a lot of us, we've tried to sin in private But Jesus was publicly lifted up and shamed. And why? Because he wants you. Because he loves you. And he wants you to know what true love is. So this poem, Song of Songs, as we read it, we're going to see that it talks about love in very human terms. It gives us something that we can understand. And all of it is to prepare for, for us for an eternity with God. Christ wants to have union with us after everything we have done. So what do we do this morning? But let us respond in love for the first time or for the thousandth time. Let's pray. Lord, your love is powerful, so make our hearts burn for you. Your grace is powerful, so make us to lay down our lives to you in devotion. Your pursuit of us Uh, that, that went all the way to the cross. It humbles us, Lord. You love us. 
So work your love in us that we may love like you love. Help our marriages to reflect this song. Help our single people to desire you as you desire them. We ask that you would bless Resurrection Church as we gather here with love until the day that we come back into your house of wine and sit in your shade forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.